turn over to the international language these days. Um, <coughs> we now have the time until quarter past two uh, for a discussion, an open discussion on apologetics in Europe, um, challenges and opportunities. And the, the, uh, the setup is uh, from the start, I'm going to ask them some questions about uh, apologetics, and then you're free to push any, any questions you like. Uh, we would prefer them to be in the field of apologetics, or communication, or worldviews, mm. or media, um, but relating to what we're doing. Um, and uh, uh, they are different kind of, uh, um, different in terms of backgrounds, uh, Pete, as you know, is a philosopher, so that's what he brings into apologetics. Um, he is also a, a writer, doing a lot on the new atheist and so on, and doing debates as well. And uh, you are also quite a bit involved in your local church. So it's not just um, uh, the academic side, but a very practical church side as well. And Stefan, uh, you've also met in August, right? Yep. You did, yeah. <laughs> At least he met you. Um, and he is a, he is an apologist. He's a theologian by trade, by education. But in Sweden, you don't have theologians, do you? You have so science of religion, isn't that? Is that science of religion? Yeah. Religionsvetenskap. So theology is relativized to a small piece of. Of number of religions, which is quite interesting. But, but at least it is called a science. It's at least yeah. <laughs> called into the science, yeah. yeah. Back to the medieval usage. Yes, yeah. exactly. So it, it could be seen as a victory yeah. if not it were for the Swedes doing it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and and they they are both they both have a long long history of working with apologetics, both in terms of academics and writing, the authors, and they have been, been doing mission missions, like evangelistic events and university and campuses. They've also been doing debates. And I do think you, you actually now meet two of, of real significant apologists in, in uh, Europe, um, traveling, traveling across Europe and, and making significant impact many, many places. Um, so take the opportunity to, to throw in some questions. Is that okay? Mm -hmm. um, My recording is, is going and working, but this college one is not seeming to do anything. I don't know if you know how to work it. Could we, could you share you your I can certainly in, share in mine. In case we yes, get yes. into something interesting. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Okay, <laughs> so. Okay, so. Okay. Um, just, just, just from the start, could, could you, could you just tell us um, how, how apologetics has been, came, came into your lives? If it starts there, fun. Mm. Um, uh, how did it? How did you get involved with apologetics? Uh, and uh, yeah. Well, uh, that's. Uh, uh, very much part of my my personal story. I was uh, born into and brought up uh, within a Christian family, a very warm Christian family, so it was natural for us to believe in God and to pray to God and study the Bible together. My father was a uh, lay preacher and we were uh, so we were involved a lot in in Christian ministry. Uh, 
and there were um, uh, preachers and missionaries uh, in previous generations. So, uh, from the beginning, the, f uh, the Christian faith was very natural for me as a child growing up in that environment. But I was not that old when I realized that, boy, what a strange family I've come to. <laughs> no one else is believing this stuff. It's so important for us, but none of my friends uh, believe it. None in my class. None at my whole school. That was my impression. The, I'm sure there were other Christians, but no one showed anything. So I felt like an absolute alien. Uh, and um, because of the kind of person I am, the, the issues of truth became very important for me. Uh, realizing that uh, if this if this is not true, I I will not continue with this. If this is not rea related to reality, if, if it's just a family thing, a sociological thing growing <coughs> within my family from gener generation to another, it's. Uh, it will stop with me. Mm -hmm. Happily, um, uh, I had a, a very open-minded uh, father, so we could discuss a lot of things, and, and uh, he could help me to some degree. But it was when I came in contact with the writing of Francis Schaeffer that uh, I really uh, understood that it's possible to uh, to view the Christian faith also from an intellectual perspective and, and uh, he gave me arguments and, and helped me to understand a lot of things so um, and through his writing I, I then started to read C.S. Lewis and, and uh, discovered apologetics it meant so much for me personally in uh, in deepening my faith and, and helping me to more fully as a teenager uh, embrace the faith personally that has that I had in, in my background and then later on I worked as a um, a high school evangelist uh, within uh, the Swedish IFES, the Swedish Laget, and of course uh, presenting the Christian faith at Vidaregoanda, um, uh, uh, students that are 16 to 19 years old. High school, yeah. <coughs> high school, yeah. If you do that in Sweden, you need to be able to give some apologetic responses because there's so many questions, so much criticism, so much prejudices, and, and you need to dismantle it. Uh, so th that forced me to, to develop that side also in terms of, of evangelism. So two sides, it was very important for my own walk with the Lord, and then in terms of uh, evangelism and, and uh, ministry, I, I realized this is this is crucial. If I want to share what I now really think is is the truth, I need to um, to do apologetics and learn more. Mm -hmm. Thank you. We'll, mm -hmm. we'll get back to some of the ministries you've been involved in and developed as well. But Pete, could you tell how you you get into got into apologetics? And yeah, uh, I can be slightly shorter because I can say very similar. <laughs> <laughs> Take uh, <off>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I expand a little. Uh, both of my parents were teachers, uh, trained in teaching uh, sciences uh, to school kids. Uh, my dad was a, a, a teacher and had a year in a secondary level school, and for some time used to teach A level students when they had some as well. Um, and they were both Christians, and so again, growing up in, in that sort of environment, but realizing in my culture that that was uh, uh, unusual, 
and, and not a given for the, the folks around us. Um, brought up to uh, believe that, that truth and reason and science were important and mattered and to discuss the sermon and um, um, brought up a, 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 an avid reader and started reading some of the books that my parents had on their shelves um, which included books on science and religion mm -hmm. uh, because of their background and a number of books by C.S. Lewis mm -hmm. I started with Lewis and found Schaefer later um, and uh, then um, as I went on to um, um, sort of college level and was um, involved in Christian Union and in organising a mission week in college and yeah, again getting involved in trying to evangelise and mm. also encouraged by uh, particularly uh, one Christian friend that I co-run um, co a Christian Union with um, who was studying the sciences um, and was also into music that I was really into and very bright crookie called David he's now a, a cosmologist at Portsmouth University um, uh, did his PhD on dark matter lensing or something, um, yeah. and he, you know, he was Don't a real bright cookie, <laughs> and encouraged me again to, to think about the the integration of my my faith and my academic mm -hmm. uh, studies. Went off to university uh, thinking I was going to do a joint degree in English literature and music. Uh, took philosophy as my subsidiary course and ended up graduating with a single honours in philosophy, mm -hmm. uh, having fallen in love with the subject, um, having rebelled against a very postmodernist English department at that time at mm -hmm. Cardiff, um, which was part of pushing me towards philosophy. And then thinking, well, I, this is you know something I enjoy doing. I seem to be. Uh, relatively good at doing and I will do this with all my heart for the Lord take it as far as I can um, and then um, after uh, three degrees in it uh, went and did student work for a number of years uh, at a church now this was a, a church-based uh, okay. student worker uh, something like a church student pastor mm -hmm. stroke general dog's body mm -hmm. uh, when the students were away mm. um, and that church by then I'd started publishing I published my first book at the end of my M Phil which was uh, this uh, the case for God okay. book on arguments for God I specialized in the philosophy of religion as I went through and uh, this, this church that employed me said we think it's important that you keep up this sort of side of your growing ministry and so we want to support you we'll, gi we'll give you a day a week to keep studying and writing whilst you work for us so I, I, they set aside time whilst I worked for them. I wrote my second book and um, sort of went from there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and um, your your ministry later ministries. Yes. Yeah, so after I'd done the, the church-based student work, uh, I moved to um, Southampton, where I now live, to work with a Christian educational charity called Damaris Trust. Damaris. Have you heard about Damaris? Which made me a name that rings a bell. Yes. Um, and and Damaris Trust in the UK is not the same as it was. No. It's, but it's, it's in Damaris Norway yeah. is a kind of a branch of the original one. The, the existing offshoot. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but yes, I, I spent a good number of years, 10, 15 years with uh, Damaris, mm -hmm. um, particularly engaging with um, worldviews in popular contemporary culture and also doing uh, conferences for sort of philosophy ethics conferences for uh, for secondary school uh, mm -hmm. aged children yes for example that's a good argument conference yeah. on yeah. ethics for general schools so yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. so uh, a lot of a lot of experience going in and, and uh, interacting with 
uh, the views mm -hmm. um, and the sort of um, the way in which the way education is done in the UK mm -hmm. affects the views of, of, of people of that age. Mm -hmm. um, having of course been through, because um, I went to three different universities and was involved in the Christian Union groups and chaplaincy groups and so on there on campus um, and trying to be not just be a philosopher who happened to be a Christian um, but be a Christian philosopher and particularly by the time I was in sort of A-level and going off to university I was I was reading Norman Geisler and J.P. Morland and then William Lane Craig and Alvin Plantinga and Plantinga. These are sacred names in apologetics yeah. just to be Plantinga in, in particular yeah, had, had, so. <laughs> had written a paper uh, encouraging Christian philosophers to sort of do their own thing mm -hmm. uh, and uh, not be worried about being fitting in with the culture of mm -hmm. the establishment way of doing things. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, you know, your philosophers be philosophers for Christ. Mm -hmm. Christian philosophers will have their own subjects that might interest them that might not interest their secular colleagues mm -hmm. and therefore might not, you know, you might get, not get all the attention and so on. But we're not doing this for attention from our secular colleagues. Yeah. You know, we're doing this for Jesus, kind of like, <laughs> mm -hmm. do it for Jesus. So, yeah, that was the, uh, a path that I tried to, to plough as far mm -hmm. as I could. And then when I went into doing youth work and evangelism and, and sort of cultural engagement mm -hmm. and so on, I came at it and continued to, to keep a, a, a sort of philosophical string mm. uh, to my bow in publishing and writing. Yeah. yeah. And and how many books have you... Well, it depends how you count them now, yeah. So Just count one and Seven one. or eight solo ones and then joint ones and edited and... Yeah. Solo ones? Uh, well, so the case for God, the case for angels. Uh, I wish I could believe in meaning. A skeptic's guide to atheism. Understanding Jesus. C.S. Lewis versus the New Atheists. Uh, a faithful guide to philosophy. A Christian introduction to the love of wisdom. Uh, about to get a, a new edition uh, published out in America. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm just uh, getting copy edited now. A new book uh, interacting with the New Atheists' views of the historical Jesus called Getting at Jesus, mm -hmm. uh, which will hopefully be out next year. Yeah. And so. you will have a seminar on Saturday. Indeed, I will. Focusing yeah. on that will be fun. Okay. Yeah. And then you ended up in NLA. Yeah. Gimble, Gimble Colin. Does that fit into through the through the Damaris yeah. link? So yeah. first of all, I came over with with Damaris when that was being set up, uh, and then they they circled round me like the <laughs> yes, the, the, birds, the de de desert. <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, fortunately, by by the time that uh, Demaris and the UK kind of uh, yeah. folded and changed uh, personnel, went in into different ministries, I had uh, come on uh, part time to the staff here. So mm -hmm. Gimla Collin owning me up to the knee. Yeah, twenty uh, percent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and they're they're my main they're my main source of of stable income, uh, mm -hmm. and then other stuff comes from. Um, book royalties and people giving me support mm -hmm. as sort of missionary work. Mm -hmm. I'm doing missionary work, but I'm doing it at home and around Eastern Europe and so on. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, interesting. And and in and in communication worldviews, you know what he's doing. We're meeting us there. He's mm -hmm. what he's doing most. You don't see because you're doing writing for us. Yeah. And tomorrow we're having our first Veritas Research Symposium. I think we've mentioned it. That was Pete's idea. We were discussing how can we lift mm. the Veritas and communication worldviews in terms of research. So why don't put a, a symposium with some of the research just at the Veritas conference? You have a lot of people coming in. 
and that's what we did. Mm. So uh, thank you, Pete. So he's uh, bringing, uh, bringing in his background, and now you're part of the coordinating group together with Lars and myself for yeah. the symposium. Yeah, very good. Mm. Now, Stefan, you, you, you've been into several kind of ministries um, where apologetics has been central. Can you just tell us about some of them? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can do that. Um, I, uh, after finishing my uh, studies at the University of Lund, uh, I joined uh, Labrie, the work of uh, Francis Schaeffer. There was a small Labrie branch at the time in Sweden. Uh, you know about Labrie? We okay. stayed at Labrie. Yeah, you stayed at Labrie. Yes, okay, then you, yes. then you know. So I'm not I ignorant. Uh, mm. so yeah. Then I will not explain what. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I worked for three years for. Uh, uh, what was called Nordic Labri down mm. in the south of Sweden. That's uh, where we met. And that's, uh, that uh, yeah, yeah. First time I met uh, Björn <coughs> and Lars mm -hmm. back in the 80s at a huge mm -hmm. conference called uh, mm. Christen Infer 90 Talet. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> he, he remembers. That's good. Mm -hmm. And that was a very important time uh, for me to. Um, to be within the Labrie context and meet um, people who come to stay with us at Labrie for shorter or for longer terms and um, to uh, to be part of the, the ongoing dialogue conversation. That's that's just the life at, at Labrie. Uh, during that time I, I started also to travel. I uh, was invited to different uh, different places and to, to do teaching and do evangelism. Uh, I was then called to become the general secretary of the Swedish IFS movement, the Lorget, uh, and I worked uh, f uh, 11 years the developing the, the student movement in Sweden. And during that time we started a, a Christian study center in Stockholm called Credo Akademin, which was, you can say on one hand, a kind of Bible school, but on the other hand, uh, very different from uh, all other Bible schools in Sweden, uh, with a high emphasis on apologetics, worldview studies, the Christian mind, and then combined with discipleship training and, and so on. And uh, we run that study center for 24 years. Uh, we had a, a one-year full-time course in, in Stockholm. And uh, so I, I've done a lot of teaching about uh, apologetics for uh, for Christians mm -hmm. but through that also constantly been involved in student missions uh, doing public presentations uh, about the Christian faith and doing public debates uh, in in Sweden and in many other pla uh, places mm. um, then uh, 2001 I together with some other people we launched the Swedish Evangelical Alliance we uh, did not have an alliance before in Sweden and I was the general secretary for the alliance for 16 years and we were a lot involved in uh, ethical and political discussions kind of ethical and political apologetics defending a Christian position uh, on uh, abortion or euthanasia or same-sex marriage or a lot about religious freedom how, how we can build a free society uh, so that was a, a new experience to work with, in, uh, with those kinds of, of issues. So the Evangelical mm. Alliance, we don't have that in Norway, but NORMA, Norsk Råd for Mission Evangelisering, is, is the Norwegian setting for this. And it's, it's uh, evangelical, which is important, the 
theological evangelical position, trusting the Bible. Uh, and uh, in Norway, it's not so much outward, it's not, not so political, but it's interesting that you develop the kind of the political side as well. Mm. Of, uh, mm. Yes? And then, um, then I stepped down as General Secretary for the Evangelical Alliance, and we chose to close down Kreder Akademien. As, uh, not because it was not working, but because we felt a calling from God to give the teaching that we had developed at the academy to give that to the churches in Sweden. And we, we realized we would never be able to do that if we are running a school with lectures five di days a week the whole year round. We will not have the time and energy to give it to the churches. So. Uh, we felt called to do that and take a very bold step in faith to um, launch a new work, which is, you can say, it's a continuation or a transformation of the Credo Academy into Apologia, Center for Christian Apologetics. So now we, uh, we travel to churches, to Bible schools, to theological educations, to train Christians in Christian apologetics, and we continue to do outreach, mainly in relationship to the student movement. So Tuesday evening I was down in the south of Sweden in Lund, my hometown, and the student uh, group there arranged a public debate with an atheist. Uh, so uh, we, we continue to do quite a lot of, uh, uh, lot of that. So you see the um, different arenas of, of, of doing a <coughs> church is important, the internal one, and then the external one of, of um, being on the, the, the secular arena with debates and evangelism and then also on the general arena of, of society especially with the, the, the uh, evangelical alliance putting the Christian perspective on the table it's still there it's still a viable option you can argue for it which in very many contexts it, would, it wouldn't even be considered mm -hmm. so giving giving Christianity a voice in the wider society is also part of the apologetic task, task of influencing a culture, making Christianity at least a viable option. Not just bringing people to faith, but bringing the, the topics and Christianity as one of the alternatives, which I think is important. If, uh, Okay, um, let's 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 move a little bit to talking about Europe. Um, uh, Stefan, you you've been um, uh, saying something of the of uh, you've been talking about the role of Europe globally. Could you could you say some something about the importance of the state of of Europe globally? I mean, the, we we see that the the all the statistics about most very many statistics about the churches see that the, the n numbers are dwindling uh, right. in terms of, of Christian Christians mm -hmm. and and the loss of confidence and it's there is at least in some quarters a, an impression we're kind of losing Europe and secularism ta is taking over uh, but but <coughs> um, what what is the role of Europe in the kind of the, in the global setting the um, yeah, um, uh, Europe have, uh, has had a, a unique position. The, this is the, the, the culture where the, the Christian faith uh, really were expanding and we, we have built a Western 
the Western culture is is built to a high degree on a Christian perspective, the Christian faith, Christian values, um, and of course, the Western culture has been the most su successful uh, of all cultures in in all history. So uh, naturally other cultures in the world are looking to to the west and and of course there's an Am american version also of, of the western culture which is uh, younger than than the uh, european but they are looking to to the west if, if you think what what different cultures are contributing you you can see that america of course we uh, there is technology there is economy there is uh, entertainment it's coming from from America. You can uh, look to Asia and, and say they're contributing in some areas they're much much stronger than other than other cultures. If you see historically what Europe has contributed it is in the in the areas of ideas. Some really good ideas and huge numbers of really bad ideas mm -hmm. that has gone global. So you know, the Christian faith comes from of originally of course from the Middle East and, and Israel but historically uh, to a large degree through Europe, the Christian faith has, has spread. The, the, uh, 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 the Reformation has had global uh, impact. But then you have all, all the, the bad ideas, like um, the Enlightenment, or this in the secular part of the Enlightenment, Marxism, and Fascism, and Nazism, and Existentialism, and Postmodernism. It's all European ideas gone global, affecting other cultures, affecting the intellectual uh, discussion. It's like Europe uh, has been a kind of greenhouse for ideas. Even today, if you look at number of international students coming from uh, non-Western countries, of course, there are a huge number going to US, but much, 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 much higher figures. International students are coming to Europe and the top universities, like the the one we have in England, like Oxford and Cambridge, and but to Sorbonne and to in France and to the uh, German universities and even to some of the uh, Nordic universities. So huge numbers of international students are coming here to study at the top universities in Europe, and then are they are then infected by the bad ideas of Europe, and then they bring them back to their home countries. And because they have an, an exam from Cambridge or Oxford, they are given top positions in their homeland and are then affecting those countries where today there is a revival, the Christian church is growing, but there is a threat that long term those growing churches can be undermined the way European churches have been undermined by the bad ideas of Europe. So I think there is a case to be made for seeing Europe as a really a strategic mission field and that we really need to win Europe back for Christ so it's not the bad ideas of secularism uh, that we are exporting to the, the world but we go back to what we had exported earlier on namely the gospel of Jesus Christ mm -hmm. Thank you um, uh, Pete, you're traveling quite a bit as well mm. some places and, and Europe is not one thing <laughs> uh, what would you no. say <coughs> about differences of, of, of challenges. Do you see significant mm. differences of challenges people living in the UK from Romania or, or where you move? Or are they also mm. very similar? Do, do you do the same topics and, and uh, other... Yeah. yeah, I mean, there, are, there is 
large commonality, but there are differences as well. So I think um, um, UK and the northern Scandinavian countries have a lot of similarities, mm. in particular their sort of cultures with a historic Christian foundation and, and culture that have uh, in the last uh, 50, 100 years turned uh, predominantly now secular. Mm. Uh, uh, so sort of secular, uh, not necessarily therefore um, a thought through, thought out atheist uh, majority population, but a population who would sort of sign the none of the above box, mm -hmm. <laughs> the nuns, not N-U-N-S, uh, nuns, yes, in, in the census of, of what you are. Um, sort of um, many agnostic sort of this no, there might be some sort of something transcendent out there but I'm not really sure what it is and it probably doesn't have anything to do with my day-to-day -day life thank you very much kind of a view mm -hmm. um, and dominated by a sort of modernistic scientistic um, idea uh, worldview mm -hmm. uh, in uh, you go more to sort of eastern uh, Europe, uh, particularly those uh, countries that are um, came out of the Soviet Union, out of communism after the fall of the Iron Curtain in the in the eighties. Um, I think they were in those cultures uh, looking desperately for freedom from from communism uh, uh, and looking to a sort of salvation of Western capitalist culture. Mm -hmm. Uh, and all, all of the, 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 the goodies of that culture that they couldn't have, they wanted, um, that they explored and then uh, soon got dissatisfied with. And so sort of, um, they're still more in a sort of um, postmodern critique of modernism, uh, still uh, looking to um, the sort of uh, new age occult, Beliefs. The number of channels. If you go over to Eastern European countries and you look at the cable TV and see, you know, channel after channel of people doing tarot card readings uh, for, for phone in callers. You know, you do the same sort of channel surfing in the UK and you, you see partially naked ladies not doing tarot card readings. You see, this yeah. is a, a cultural difference. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that sort of postmodernist ideas, uh, occult ideas, um, and dissatisfaction with what Western capitalist modernism could have, could have brought, uh, and a reinvigoration of of, of nationalism, right, yeah. um, that it's, it's particularly bound up with uh, state church, orthodox mm -hmm. state church identity as well. So that sort of identity politics. Mm -hmm. Uh, coming through like very Brexit strongly. Discussion. Uh, it's, it's a whole different identity politics Sorry. in, in the Sorry, UK. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Political uh, dynamite. Yeah. Let's get back. To <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so because of those different backgrounds, uh, communism, not communism, and so on, and um, of, of course, particularly if you go and talk to you know evangelical Christians, um, they feel uh, a minority against their. Uh, secular and or nominal or orthodox mm. brethren in those countries and in somewhere like France of course the majority Christian view is Catholic mm. Uh, mm. rather than orthodox mm. with very so there are different uh, sort of issues um, at, at, at play within the inter-Christian inter relationships mm -hmm. as well as the relationship between Christian worldview and secular worldviews. Mm. Mm -hmm.
Um, let's let's now have a, um, a, a go at what 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 you see as the um, what is the major challenges. I mean, thinking apologetically about Europe, if if mm. you were challenged to kind of say, well, these are some of the challenges we need to to, to grapple with. Which uh, what what would you uh, would you say? Then then uh, after that you will. You can have a discussion, and uh, and you'll bring on some questions and issues and, and uh, topics, mm. right? Mm. Stefan, what what do, you, do what do you see as some of the main challenges for us in Europe, uh, especially when we think of apologetics? Well, of course, apologetics is linked to to very many aspects mm. of life, mm. anyway. So. Um. On, on, on the surface, you can say we are a divided culture where we have one part that is very modernistic and rational, going, to b going back to uh, the Enlightenment thinking, and people are uh, putting a high emphasis on science and often viewing it as the only source of knowledge and high view on reason, uh, so the m kind of modern perspective. And a lot of people are affected by that. Other people are affected by the postmodern, where you are irrational, uh, very subjective. You go with with uh, your emotion and your kind of inner being at what you feel right for you at uh, the moment. And a lot of people mix between those two perspectives. So in one area they are modern people, another another area or another day they are postmodern. So it's it's very chaotic. Uh, so on the surface we have this this challenge, but if you go beneath it, there is one common thread, and that is that we are humanists. We start with ourselves. Uh, we are individualistic, and we put ourselves at the center. And sometimes it's it's kind of our brain or our science, or it's our self and our feelings and our authenticity or, or some other aspects of us that. In more postmodern, but basically we are, we are humanists, which stands in this stark contrast to the Christian faith, where the starting point is God, and He is defining life, and He's the source of life and the goal of life. Uh, and I'm a, a creature made by Him, designed by Him, and called by Him. Uh, and uh, this. Uh, the sheer fact of being a, cr a creature changes everything. You, you have to ask other questions if there is a God above us and I'm a creature made by, uh, made by him. And a lot of people are kind of uh, judging the Christian faith out from their humanistic starting point if it fits with where they stand. And they don't see that if Christianity is true, you need to move from your point to this point where you are, you will become much more important because you are in the image of God and loved by him, but the starting point is the God who loves you and who has created you and everything needs to be viewed in, in light of him and to help people to see that, that change so they are not making a humanistic evaluation uh, of, of the Christian faith. I think that is one of the main, main yeah, challenges. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's, I think, why it's so difficult 
to engage at this level of conversation about um, you know differences between secular society and Christian views on sexual ethics for example mm -hmm. yeah. something you yeah. mentioned earlier yeah. Good. because there's 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 a certain amount of of rational debate and conversation that you might be able to have <laughs> not on Twitter um, <laughs> on those kind of subjects mm -hmm. um, but you're quite unlikely to reach any common ground because you're starting from such different viewpoints. Mm -hmm. um, and often I think with those, those issues, my approach is exactly to kind of say, look, yeah, if I, if I started where you were, I would be thinking the same things. I can see where you're coming from, um, but I'm coming from somewhere different than you're coming from, and that's why we, we, we differ yeah, ultimately. Yeah, yeah. Really, the roots of our disagreement here are much deeper and much further back. Hmm. Um, and until we settle those differences, if we don't settle those differences, it's hardly surprising we can't settle these secondary tertiary issues that follow on from these, these fundamental worldview issues about, you know, what is a human being? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For example, we have very different visions of what that is because of our different, you know, worldviews, as, as you say. So to get the conversation away from the particular sort of secondary tertiary issue that culture happens to be um, rubbing up against at the moment mm -hmm. in the cultural mm -hmm. conversation to, to bring it back to and also to bring it back to saying uh, you, you know culture's hooked up on when you think of Christianity you think of oh those, those bigots who don't like gay people or uh, have this view or that you know they believe these things that I disagree with mm -hmm. uh, rather than uh, being able to see uh, Christianity as a way of life mm -hmm. that is, you know, may have some things about it that are appealing, as well as mm -hmm. some things that that are, they find odd or unappealing, or but to not just view it in the sort of politicised buzz issue categories, as it as it were, mm -hmm. um, as important as some of those issues are, but they're not they're not dealing with the deeper issues, mm -hmm. philosophically speaking first and foremost and, and I think the way to do that is through this this as you were saying getting Christianity a, a, a culturally viable voice that should be li at least listened to respectfully as part of the conversation and I think really we need to model doing that because culture is not going to do it for us we mm -hmm. need to do it for them mm -hmm. um, but also uh, getting Christianity lived out there uh, uh, as a way of life that people engage with and actually say, oh, there's something attractive about that that mm -hmm. way of life. Um, and in that context, deal with, but I have this issue. Okay, mm -hmm. Let's talk about that. But um, to, to sort of um, defuse, in, in a sense, mm -hmm. um, the, the politicised aspect of the debate. Politicised, yes. Okay. Now, um, we will have a break um, a quarter past um, before that break you sit down two and two or three uh, three and three and you bring up the questions and you 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 say what what do you find as the most important challenges in terms of apologetics or Christian faith today in your contexts and and um, um, what what kind of also what what questions would you bring on to these questions, to these uh, to these people about their experiences and opportunities and solutions? Right. Five minutes now. You discuss. 
and you jot down, someone jot down some, some questions and topics, we'll hear from you and we'll get a response later as well. What, what I'd like to do now is bring up your comments, your issues, your questions. We put them on a board and then they will pick and respond to them, right? We try to get many topics out uh, from the start and then they will start um, responding and then you can also follow up, bring up follow up questions, okay? Is that okay? Start the front, what kind of issues or challenges did you see? Yeah? Lack of interest. Yeah. Yeah, we could call it indifference. And that's an interesting challenge. If, if you have people attacking you, ah, at least you get to speak. But people are indifferent. Lack of interest. How do we start? That is a real big uh, challenge for apologetic and communication. Yeah? There's a lack of some letters in that word, too. <laughs> I, told you I thought you should be... Uh, Indifferent to this, <laughs> Stefan. <laughs> Thank you. Apple Maybe you should leave just now. <laughs> it's, it's about truth, you know. No, no, no. <laughs> it's about art history. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Um, even though people think something is true, yeah, uh, it's hard to see that people live by it. Okay. So, like this double morality. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Truth uh, and living, living the truth, the relationship or the link. Yeah, uh, is were you concerned about Christians not living it out, or that secular people don't see any link with truth and life? Well, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, do you want an example? An example. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for example, we have like uh, many people think about climate change mm -hmm. and that everybody should be equal mm -hmm. and that stuff, but they don't live by it. Mm -hmm. So, how we consume and how we travel a lot mm -hmm. yeah. and have like a uh, cabin in Spain and, and yeah. like travel and how you you think uh, some morality and you can, mm -hmm. and it's more common to criticize others than to see inside yourself and how you mm -hmm. live and how yeah. you think and yeah. your values. That's interesting, a general, mm -hmm. general challenge, yeah? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, we have more claims than questions, I think. Yeah, we will bring up claims and topics. It's not just questions, yeah? Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. How to, uh, yeah, but uh, you may use Norwegian or English. We'll. Yeah. Yeah. Being heard in this culture, so many voices, so busy, so crammed, and, and yeah. Big, big issue, yeah. Ja, jeg tenkte det også kunne vært interessant å høre hvilke temaer er det dere to, eller hvilke spørsmål er det dere flest ganger hører når det er i debatt? Fordi det er nettopp når vi snakker her, så er det jo det. Altså folk er egentlig ikke interessert i kristendom. Som jeg sa her, så hva er det da dere hører når dere er i slike debatter? Hva er det folk... Yeah, what are the questions you're asked when you're out there? That would be very interesting, one of the most common questions and objections you meet, okay? Yeah. Uh, I think we talk about the same things as this mm -hmm. with, uh, yeah, how to get people interested. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because people just make up their own truth and are not really interested in hearing actual good answers. Mm-hmm. Also Christian people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Relativism? Is that? Yeah, that's the part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And why should we listen to you? Uh, for, of course, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So why should people listen to us Christians? Why should we? It's a lot of big, mm -hmm. heavy things talking to us from the history. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 So Christianity is often seen as kind of the villain, the the bad guy in history. So why should you speak? You've done all these bad things. Okay, mm -hmm. that's interesting, yeah? So, do you have um, some issues to bring up? Yes, uh, Jordan Peterson have yeah. been... Um, it's very interesting to see that finally someone is attacking and kind of breaking the ice, the political correctness ice barrier that is uh, stopping us from having these discussions. Uh, and how can how can we use him as an icebreaker? And mm -hmm. when he had been breaking the ice, mm -hmm. getting the attention, attacking the political correctness, the feminism, the postmodernism, mm -hmm. and then is it wise to use him and then coming alongside him and introducing the gospel, mm -hmm. or should we be more distant from him? Or I'm sure you have some. Yeah, is he an opportunity for us? Yeah. And is there any How challenges? Can we use it wisely? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. He's a big phenomenon, especially among men. I'm not sure if you ladies have, have uh, listened to him yet. Uh, it's, it's, it's extremely interesting. And he, he became popular through a, a political um, decision in Canada 
that you are obliged to use the term that the person wants to be called, not he or she or what, whatever term. And he said, I don't want to do that. I don't want the state to decide what I should call someone. And it was a big round. It was political and legal stuff. And he got very famous because of that. He's political. And he's doing very good case in, in the media as well. So it's, uh, it's quite interesting phenomenon. Okay? Friends in the corner, do you have any issues, topics, ideas? Um, I've thought about the, uh, the way scientists or secular scientists are taking the monopoly or taking the domain of uh, what is uh, reason, the, the word reason, and how that is affecting, especially in, in school settings. Uh, in, uh, Mm -hmm. Books, books in the school. Mm -hmm. And also, about uh, <coughs> how do we bridge that gap of the co just misunderstood concepts? Like mm -hmm. when the Christian talks about the word faith or not, mm -hmm. how do we. Yeah. Is there any. We make ourselves understood about what we actually mean. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm interested in our views on uh, gay marriage or something. And there's a, is, in order to understand that, you sort of have to go quite a long way back. So how do we do that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, good point. Anything you want to add now? Okay. No. All right. <coughs> Peter Stefan, you have this wonderful writing on the wall. Mm. Um, Pete, which question would you like to start with? Who you, you, the perfect question. You can choose the first one. Uh, well, perhaps I can set the, the the ground a bit by talking about how I see apologetics, because it, it's that's mm -hmm. sort of that meta discussion is something I've written about and continue to to think about, and it links with some of the things that people were saying about um, seeing the truth lived out. Uh, not just having a narrow focus on truth and beliefs, but also seeing uh, how can we you know, get people to see Christianity as something that's attractive. Um, uh, Blaise Pascal, the, the French Christian philosopher, um, in his uh, notes, uh, wrote that you should first try and make people want Christianity mm -hmm. to be true, and then show them that it is. As I said, that people don't want it to be true. Mm. Uh, that's why they don't give you a hearing. And well, of course, one of the ways of, of getting them to want it to be true is to, is to see it as an attractive option in, in some way. Um, and part of that attraction can and, and should be, I think, an intellectual sort of attraction to truth and reality. Um, but uh, it should be broader than that as well. So. I get into this by thinking about the, the nature of discipleship to Jesus, of, of what in English I call uh, Christian spirituality. Jesus' answer to the, the greatest question, you know, what's the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all of your head and all of your heart and all of your strength. And that a, a Christian spirituality is a, a Christ-centered way of doing that. So you, you love God with all of your head and all of your heart and all of your strength through a trusting relationship in Jesus as the 
you know, I am the door, uh, etc. Uh, so head, heart, strength, uh, your your assumptions and beliefs, your worldview, uh, your heart, not just what you feel about things, but what you commit to in the language of the day, what you choose, uh, and your strength, what you what you do as a consequence of that. And you see that pattern once you have it in mind throughout the Old and New Testament. Uh, and then from my philosophical background, it strikes me that these three categories of the head, heart and the hands uh, link with the three traditional categories of uh, the transcendental values of truth, goodness and beauty. So the truth of your worldview, beliefs and assumptions, uh, the goodness uh, of uh, your actions being judged are they good or not and the, the the beauty or ugliness of your commitment of your way of of life in a sense and these all of course overlap but we we distinguish them how do we relate these things through the three traditional categories again back to ancient greek thought of rhetoric uh, which you can find in aristotle but which you can also find in the writings of saint paul uh, so we have uh, our worldview uh, beliefs uh, communicated through logos, through rational um, argument and uh, the word and so on, judged by whether or not it's true. We have the uh, our actions uh, communicated uh, through our, uh, our ethos, uh, uh, um, uh, judged by whether or not it's good, and uh, our heart attitude, our way of life. Um, it communicates through what Aristotle called pathos. Uh, does it move the audience? Does it attract the audience? And judging that by the objective standard of, of is it beautiful? Uh, so you can kind of pull that together uh, a little bit more neatly by saying, I, I, I think of apologetics as it's about helping people to be really persuaded that a Christ-centered spirituality is a beautiful, good, and true, reasonable way of living. Uh, and so you've got truth and argument and so on in there, but you've you've deliberately built in that this has to be connected to these broader issues of uh, of the attractiveness of that way of life, of the the ethics of that way of life, uh, of the integration. Of a, of a spiritual way of life as a way of a life that, that, that pulls you together and makes you more whole as a person as your head, heart and hands as you put on Christ day by day are drawn together in the image of God rather than being pulled apart as I would argue happens within a, a, a non-Christian worldview that, that you end up dis disintegrating uh, the person um, so I want to kind of put those categories up there and say that we in apologetics uh, need to think and put more effort into thinking about attractiveness and beauty and how we communicate well in the arts and so on, whilst not forgetting that of course we have a message that we, we want to declare as true and reasonable and so on, um, but we don't want to do that in a in a narrowly intellectualist this, this is just for bright people um, this is all about what's going on up here a kind of you know we're, we're a group of heads <laughs> mm. having a philosophical seminar 
<laughs> well, yeah, but we're more than that. We, we have whole personalities that God calls us to, to follow him with and to help other people to see how following him with their whole personalities is a, is a, is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And that addresses your concern here with, with the linking of, mm. of faith and living, of course. Yeah. 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 Good. Um, so, so Stefan, what, what kind of topic would you start <coughs> coming, commenting on? And you, Pete, you can think about mm. your next. Uh, <laughs> my problem, my problem here was that I thought I should start with why should we listen to you? But, the, <laughs> but the, mm. uh, the lady who asked the question just le- left, left the room. Yes. Why should we listen to her? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if, anyway, I should, yeah. if I should <laughs> choose another question or, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. wait. It's a good see. question. You should. No, you should wait. Wait. Yeah. Take another she, question. She, she's coming back. Yeah. She just she, has to take a call. Yeah. Okay. Um. Because if the per- if the person is genuinely sort of asking that question, you know, why should I listen to you? Um. Well, if you don't listen to me, you won't ever find out an answer to that question. The only way... (laughs) (laughs) That's true. The only way of you finding out an answer to this question is to give me an opportunity to speak to you Mm. where you listen. (laughs) So give me me a chance. um, Either you're going to give me a chance or or, all you're actually saying is, I'm not interested in listening. Mm. (laughs) Um. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, why should we listen to you? Your question, Venka. <laughs> yeah, why should we listen? <laughs> and uh, m- my response would be something, something like this, that, uh, well, since both of us are human beings, I think we should try to listen to each other. Mm. Uh, this is something so significant for us uh, that we actually can communicate, we can listen, we can respond to each other. Uh, and um, th- that's the only way we can build a, a good culture together that we actually try to listen to each other built into this question is but you represent a, a faith uh, that has caused a lot of damage yeah, I, I don't uh, re- uh, I don't deny that you can point to things that Christians or the Christian church have done that is wrong but can you give me an example of a culture or a faith or an ideology which has not caused any harm to anyone? It seems to be an odd criteria to, to say if what you represent have been used by anyone to anything evil, we shouldn't listen to you. B- because that could be said of, of any uh, faith or perspective or philosophy. So I think it's a better question to uh, to ask what you stand for. Has it contributed any good? Everyone has contributed to some negative things because we are all human beings that are sinful, broken. It's a better question to ask what positive thing things has this brought? And I think if you look at the, the ideas within the Christian faith, even though some of those ideas have been misused by, by some people, the, uh, the general picture we have is that these have been the most constructive and fruitful ideas in human history. 
So where does um, the whole idea of uh, human dignity comes from? And the UN Declaration of, of, of Human Dignity. Well, it has Christian roots. We are all made into the image of God. Why do we care about the sick? Because we follow this man who cared about the sick. It's, that's very typical for the, the Christian culture that we, we care for the sick and for the weak. Beautiful, uh, beautiful ideas. Uh, you have all the ideas ab uh, about hope that is so strong within the Christian faith that, that an individual, regardless of our own history, we can have a hope in this life and beyond this life. Compare that to the pessimism of atheism or nihilism or Buddhism or Hinduism. Most faiths in the world are really pessimistic. They don't give uh, the individual hope. So I think there's a good case to be interested in, in the Christian faith because uh, it has proved itself to be a really, really a force for good uh, within, uh, within uh, the human culture. And, and above that, uh, <coughs> the most important issue long term is, is the issue of truth. So even if some Christians have acted badly, the Christian faith is about Christ. So that is what I would like to discuss, not what we as Christians have done, good or sometimes bad, but what about uh, Jesus Christ and his life and his teaching and how we can understand his death and what's happened after, after his death. So something, something like that. So now, um, um, Stefan, you, you're going to leave. Could, I, could we ask before you leave to comment on two one? What are the most common questions you get on these uh, public events? And then a quick comment on Jordan Peterson. And okay. Then, and then you can leave. And then I can leave. <laughs> I <laughs> begin with, with uh, Peterson. I, uh, I'm a huge fan. I admire him a lot. Mm -hmm. I think he, he is in, uh, in a number of areas. He's just brilliant. And uh, we, should, we could learn a lot uh, from him. He is very well read. He knows his stuff, what he's talking about. He has a brilliant mind uh, in terms of analysis. And he has the courage to go against um, media and the uh, kind of uh, majority uh, positions. And I think he has brought a lot of good stuff uh, in, into the public discussion. He's not a Christian, so uh, even though he uses the Bible and some Christian concepts, he's not at all a Christian. He views the biblical stories as a kind of uh, mythological stuff that can help us and inspire us, but he uh, does not view the stories as history. He is, um, and, and he's, he's not a Christian. So some people who really admire the good things he's doing I think is too affirmative of where he stands in terms of, of, of some of his ideas. So you, you, we need to be clear about his, uh, his, his overall position. But still we can learn so much about him. And we should need some uh, good um, Christian uh, hmm. Peterson types who can do what he have done in, in the media and kind of hmm. opening ways for, for new kinds of discussions. Um, he uh, he will come to Sweden, <coughs> to Stockholm in uh, three weeks time. Okay. On a but first Norway. 
First Norway, okay. Okay. We'll be in Norway next week. Okay. So loud, long time ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and what are the most most common questions you get? Mm. Uh, people think that they are very original and very clever thinkers and uh, and very creative and that they have figured out uh, some really profound questions. <laughs> well, most of us are not that uh, that profound in our thinking. It's, it's and not I an insult to you, by the way. No, and, and, and I include <laughs> myself in, in that. I'm not a profound thinker. So if you go around and present the gospel, you will hear the same questions over and over and over and over and over again. And most people have not actually thought the question through. They have not wrestled with them. It's not really deep, burning questions from them. It's, to a large degree, questions they have just catched from the culture. They've heard other people raise the question and they just grab the questions and then throw it uh, uh, at us. Um, so it's, it's very traditional questions um, and you, you can group them into some, some questions that are more uh, 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 kind of enlightenment type of questions and some are more postmodern questions. So you will have some, some questions about, of course, uh, d- uh, the problem of evil. What is the relationship with, between God and all the misery and evil things going on in the world? Uh, you will have questions related to different aspects of, uh, of science. And it's very often a question about the lack of evidence. So that there is no evidence for God. There is no evidence for the Christian faith. And what they think is there is no scientific evidence. Science has not been able to prove God. Uh, so there is a huge misunderstanding about the, the, the nature and function of science as if science ever could find God, as if God were a thing within the world that you can discover, like he's a kind of very unique particle. We have not uh, found that particle yet, but uh, we, uh, we, we could find that energy particle we could call God, which is uh, such a misunderstanding of what, w- what we talk about when we talk about God. But so there will be uh, questions relating to science, uh, often a kind of what we call scientism, that people think that the only really val- no- valid knowledge is scientific knowledge. Mm. And then you will have postmodern questions in terms of, um, isn't it arrogant to say there's only one way to God? What about all the other religions? Um, uh, Can we really know truth? Shouldn't we be more humble and just say, uh, this is true for me, uh, but I cannot go beyond my own own personal belief systems. I'm kind of locked into my own subjective world and my own social setting, and it's impossible to actually talk about the truth within itself, how it is in, in any kind of objective sense. So there will be a number of, of issues there. And then, of course, people will then pick up individual issues like what's your view on homosexuality? Uh, or what's your view on hell? Or a more, more specific issue. 
Again, usually not because people have really wrestled with the issue, but uh, <coughs> it's something that they, they know a little bit about and they want to throw it uh, to us. Um, you can easily make a list of like the, the ten most common questions and that will cover if you are an apologist if you can give a good answer to those ten questions uh, you can come uh, a long way as an apologist mm -hmm. and then you can add to the list if you have twenty questions you can give good answers to mm -hmm. you will survive for a long time until mm -hmm. you have a <laughs> A, a new question. This is actually advertised in really Christian book in Norwegian, of course. Yeah, twenty. Yeah. Twenty objections 20, yeah. to yeah. the Christian faith. Yeah. Now, Stefan, the, it's two o'clock, and you will soon be raptured, taken away from <laughs> us yeah. uh, to Brimstad. So, so um, good luck. We say if we're secular or pagan, we say good luck. We don't believe in luck. But uh, blessings <laughs> on the way, <laughs> and greet the Christians. They're not Christians in Grimstad yeah. from us. So I I, I uh, turned on my computer here because I was looking for a quote from uh, Chesterton that I would use uh, at my uh, my lecture in uh, Grimstad, and it's about science and it relates to to the question secular scientists uh, and and reason that people think that uh, science has kind of disproved Christianity. And, and Chesterton, who was a, a, a writer and thinker and journalist and a lot of things, uh, uh, and he has, uh, he's often quoted because he has, he has so many really, really good like one-liners or, or very short reasonings. He says at one place this, science must not impose any philosophy any more than the telephone must tell us what to say. Science must not impose any philosophy any more than the telephone must tell us what to say. The point he wants to make is that when science has analyzed one part of the material world, from that does not follow a full world view. Science cannot say, for example, if the, this material aspect which is now analyzed is the only aspect that is there. It's an open philosophical question if, it, if there is a spiritual dimension, something supernatural. What's going on in the, the Western world today is that so often science is equated with naturalism. That Because science has been very successful in understanding nature, then people draw the conclusion nature is all there is. But there is no logic between those two being successful in analyzing nature, from that you cannot draw the conclusion, therefore nature is the only thing that is there. Mm -hmm. The question about the, the supernatural is a separate question that science cannot solve for us. That's, that is a philosophical, religious, uh, personal question. There's a lot of other dimensions to that, but it's not in itself a scientific question. Mm -hmm. So I like that quote. Science must not impose any philosophy any more than the telephone must tell us what to say. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> you bring that to Grimstad. Yeah. And by the way, um, John Lennox has brought new, a new book which is coming out in the UK in January. And he's brought them here. Well, can science 
tell us everything. Is that the title? Okay. He's brought 40 copies of this book for Great. us, the conference, so be ahead of the pack when you get to the book table. Yeah. Uh, and he, he puts the gospel in that book as well, he says. That's, that's quite brilliant. So, yeah. Put and the gospel in as well, that yeah. And I'm really interested in, in hearing Pete's view on Peter Jordan. Uh, <laughs> uh, Jordan Peterson. Yeah, yeah. Jordan yeah. Peterson. Yeah. Uh, but you have to tell me later because I have to. I have to you can just read the recording. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. Mm. There it goes. Yes, let's. let's I wanted to comment on um, being a, a, a <laughs> obstreperous uh, interviewee here. I wanted to come <laughs> pick up on what Lars was saying about the fact that people generally haven't actually really thought through and wrestled with mm -hmm. their questions. Because a, a lot of what I, I did with the Damaris school conferences mm -hmm. when I was going into schools, particularly when I did that logic argument conference in the schools, was helping the students to realise that A, no one had actually taught them how to argue before. Mm -hmm. uh, B, here's a Christian teaching me how to argue <laughs> <laughs> and giving me an opportunity to think more about my agnosticism, my atheism or whatever. Um, and C, um, it's not an objection just to raise a question. <laughs> that uh, it's all very well that they say, um, Oh, 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 we're, yeah, okay, we're going to argue in the, uh, the competition for the chocolate at the end. We're going we're gonna to be atheists, yeah. Uh, so, um, we don't believe in God. Why don't we believe in God? Let's try and make an argument. Well, what about the Big Bang? Yeah, yeah, what about the Big Bang? <laughs> yeah, well, what about the Big Bang? What's your... <laughs> that's <Is> a... <laughs> okay, can you turn that into a, you know, premise, premise, conclusion, syllogistic argument, as we were looking at in, in London? Mm -hmm. um, so let me try and help you do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, sometimes you then get the group saying, oh, oh sir, sir, I, th I think we're, we're finding it quite difficult to argue for atheism. Can we argue for agnosticism <laughs> instead? <laughs> so they find out how difficult it is actually mm -hmm. to go from, oh, what about this? To here's actually a thought through objection that can be assessed Mm -hmm. uh, logically and engaged with by saying, you know, well that conclusion doesn't follow, or well, yeah, I'm doubtful about the truth of this premise of your of your argument, and so on. They just think to raise a question: uh, what about evolution? What about you know Adam and Eve? What about um, the problem of evil or whatever? Um, that's just where they're at. Mm -hmm. But as Christians. Um, you know, the loving thing to do and the, the culturally sort of salt and lighting culture thing to do is to actually come alongside them and say, well, let me help you think that through more. Mm -hmm. Let, let me, me give you a real good argument for atheism, yeah. not just... <laughs> yeah, that, and that has, uh, you know, a lot more you know, attractive rhetorical force mm -hmm. than, you know, what you, you could do is just sort of point the finger and go, ha, 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 silly atheist who hasn't thought about it. But that's not a loving Christ-like approach mm -hmm. Uh, to the issue. The, the issue is, that, well, let's come alongside, I, I, I treat you with respect to someone who, you know, if I give you a few tools that your education system has failed you not, by not giving you, mm -hmm. you can actually start engaging at a deeper level with this issue. Mm -hmm. And I, I have confidence that if you really do that and you pursue truth, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, then you're working on, you're working on God's territory. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
uh, and we'll go from there. Yeah. Mm. And uh, and you told me uh, yesterday about an interesting debate you had mm. with the agnostic. Was yeah. looking at the argument. So this was in uh, up in Trondheim University. I took part in the mission week there earlier this year, and as part of that, they organised a debate on does God exist uh, between myself and uh, a non-Christian philosopher called Einar. Einar Dueng and Byrne, uh, yeah. one of the really big upcoming names. Uh, uh, yeah. I'd read. I managed to read some of his material online and, mm -hmm. and go, yeah, this guy is is a serious yeah. philosopher. Um, and it's going to be really interesting interchange but also he was coming from an agnostic mm. position and what I found fascinating was he he came from an agnostic position of saying since I'm not sure whether or not there is a God I'm going to live as if there is a God mm. and you, you often find agnostics saying well I don't know whether or not there's a God so I'm just going to live as if there's not Mm -hmm. But this guy was saying, so I think it's entirely reasonable for me to live in the hope that there is a God mm -hmm. and try and live my life with that in mind. Um, so I was, I, actually I came alongside and I, I endorsed that. I said, I think you're right about that. Mm -hmm. But I happen to think that there are some good reasons for believing in God mm. and you don't. And indeed I think, I think the fact that you, you want to hope that there is a God is itself one of the indicators that points to the existence of God. So I used C.S. Lewis's version of C.S. Lewis's argument from desire uh, in the debate as well. Uh, but then at the end of the debate, in the Q&A time, one of the students who was clearly an, an atheist, I'd used the fine-tuning argument uh, in the debate as well, and this atheist was... Uh, rather unhappy that you know it hadn't really no one had knocked it down so he was going to like I'm going to discuss this and, and knock the fine-tuning argument for everybody uh, you know his comments and then uh, uh, Ina rises to the defense of the argument grabs up the chalk and is over to the chalkboard and says, no no you're not taking this argument seriously enough you know the, think of it this way let me give you an illustration and uh, this is a really serious argument for the existence of, of, of God and it's like interacting with this atheist student defending the fine-tuning argument and he turns to me and says Peter what, why am I doing this <laughs> like, I'm very happy for you to do this, <laughs> you know. But you know that was uh, intellectual integrity on his part. Mm. He was saying, actually, I think this is a good argument for believing in God. Now, of course, he's not convinced that there is a God, and that's presumably because he thinks there are other good arguments for not believing in God. And when you kind of try and balance it all up, he just ends up saying, well, I'm not sure. I can see some reasons for. I can see some against. That's kind mm. of I don't know, but I'm engaging seriously with the issue and actually in terms of spirituality and living my life, why not, you know, to, to, to have that opportunity with uh, a non-Christian agnostic philosophy professor to say to a student audience, mm -hmm. um, even if you don't, even if you're not sure that there is a God, <laughs> why not consider how you live your life because you're either going to live your life as if there is or as if there isn't you don't get a choice mm. of just you can suspend your belief but you can't suspend your way of living mm -hmm. yeah uh, so that was very interesting and, and, and really got into the, the the spirituality linking up with the discussion about arguments for and against the existence of God and so on so it made it much more uh, real 
mm. uh, as a discussion I think it's good and it's recorded you can find it for free on my podcast channel mm. uh, via my website very interesting yeah so now we need we need to hear your uh, the mo- the most common questions mm. you 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 get when we're yeah, in the mission uh, um, uh, is, is right i mean the the problem of evil various versions of that is is the, is the biggest one mm-hmm. there are fewer arguments for atheism than there are for theism so there there, there are really very many uh, arguments for atheism to to learn to think about um and then I think it, it comes down to the specific kind of people have a specific hang up about a specific issue. You know, how how can you believe in a god who sends people to hell? Um, and and that will mean they have a specific uh, theological understanding of that doctrine, that particular doctrine in mind. Be it creation, you know, how you understand what the Bible says about creation, or how you understand what the Bible says about hell, or how you understand what the Bible says about the the status of of um, people who don't hear about Jesus in this life uh, with respect to the uh, the afterlife or um, this, that or the other. A particular issue, they have a particular view on it and, and often my response is not necessarily to go directly into that issue, although I, I eventually try and say, well here's how I think of it so I'm not like avoiding their issue. But you do again want to kind of take a step back and put it in context and say, you know, is this a primary key issue for deciding whether or not Christianity is true or, or something you're interested in, or is this really a sort of secondary, tertiary issue down the line? So, for example, on, on, on creation, science, evolution, all, all of that, I distinguish between the doctrine of creation, God is the ultimate reason why we're here, he is our ulti- ultimately our creator and our intender, <laughs> you like versus different Christian models of creation which involve different uh, ways of understanding the biblical texts on the issues and different ways of integrating those understandings of what the Bible says with uh, our uh, apparent knowledge of these issues from outside from science from philosophy and so on uh, and point out that Christians all agree on the doctrine of creation <laughs> but they don't all agree on the model of creation mm-hmm. uh, so you could become a Christian without you could think yeah I believe in the doctrine of creation and you could say but I'm agnostic about what model of creation is right you mm-hmm. know uh, you might say well I, yeah, I'm really not sure whether to be some kind of theistic evolutionist or an intelligent design uh, old earth creationist or, a, or you know but I'm pretty sure that, that we're here for a reason and you know there's a God uh, and the next big important question down the line from that is is Jesus who Christians think he was not um, you know has John Walton or John Collins or uh, Hugh Ross got the right interpretation of Genesis chapter 2 you know that's mm. <laughs> sort of getting the horse before the cart as it were mm. uh, so I try and put these things in context and say you know you, you know how how key is this in terms of the the real questions to ask about being a Christian because my task in apologetics is not to try and get people to become exactly a sort of replica of the kind of Christian that I am with all of the same doctrinal views mm-hmm. that I have 
my my task is to help them to be persuaded that a Christian, a Christ-centered spirituality is a, is a beautiful, good, and true, reasonable thing to adopt. Um, yeah. <laughs> so we have one minute left. Ooh. So which are there any follow-up or any from the board you'd like him to comment on for one minute? Before we have are being refreshed. Yes. You mentioned a few uh, arguments for atheism. Mm. Just what are the arguments for atheism? Okay, so you could say um, take naturalism or materialism as a worldview. And you can point out that that's a very that's a simple worldview because it only belie- entails believing in one kind of thing, matter mm-hmm. or, or natural things. So it's a simple worldview in that sense. So you could say that well, that's a point in its favour. Uh, and then the key discussion will be uh, yeah, okay, simplicity is important when we're explaining things, but uh, having an adequate explanation is more important. So in Occam's Razor. Uh, basically says when you're trying to explain data um, go for the simplest adequate explanation mm-hmm. uh, but being that being the best most adequate explanation is more important than being simple because otherwise you're just a, an overly simplistic explanation that doesn't really explain all of the data so I would say yeah I grant you that that believing just in matter is simpler than believing that there's a, 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 a spiritual God who created a material universe, including people who are material and spiritual and angels, and you know, it's more complicated in that sense. But I think that the the, the Christian theistic explanation of the available data is a heck of a lot more adequate <laughs> than the naturalistic explanation. So that's one sort of yeah, okay, it's simpler. Problem of evil, yeah, it comes in in, in various different versions, I- I- including I think the ho- the whole, you know, if there were a god, surely there'd be more evidence than, than there is. Mm-hmm. Uh, he ought to give us more evidence than he's given. Kind of argument I think is a subset of the problem problem of evil. Um, objections to particular doctrines, um, objections based more more again in in worldview kind of. A different ontology, different understanding of what is reality, materialism, or different epistemology, how we know things, so scientism, sort of saying empirical scientific methods are the only way in which we can know anything reasonably. You cannot, through that method, know about God, therefore, you can't have any reasonable belief in God, or something like that. Um, and I think that's it's 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 uh questionable on multiple fronts but yeah that's that kind of epistemological uh well it might be true but we can't know it it's true yeah you know there might be miracles and miracles are possible but we can't ever reasonably believe that there has been a miracle like david hume seems to have been arguing uh, mm-hmm. and various new atheists today do mm-hmm. so. you can pursue these there you go and in the breaks now we'll have the refreshment.